I don't know if you remember this, right after 9-11, Fox ran this uh, TV show, and it became a hit, and it was called 24. Uh, really feel-good show, if you ever saw that. And 24 was uh, Keith Sutherland, and he was playing a character, Jack Bauer. Every episode was focused on a 24-hour day, and it was intense. <clears throat> and if you look at Jack Bauer's to-do list, it was a squelching an assassination attempt on a high-level political figure. It was taking care of nuclear attacks, bioterrorism. There were traitors, torture, an occasional bad cup of coffee. He never took a nap if you watch the show. And there was only one constant through the 10 years that it was on, and that is he had one person, one friend, who was with him from the beginning to the end. Remember her name? Cleo, okay? Uh, Chloe. And Chloe, if you remember, had the creepy eyes and the bad attitude. I mean, that was the show. But have you ever thought about that title, 24? And have you ever thought about seasons in your life when you can't believe everything that happened in a 24-hour period of time? We've all had those kind of days. Thomas Kincaid said this, and I love this. Rather than set aside time for prayer... I constantly and spontaneously pray about everything I encounter on a daily basis. When someone shares something with me, I'll often simply say, let's pray about it. Here's what I love. Right now. All of us are going to have, I guarantee probably this week, there'll be a situation, you're going to have a conversation, and you're going to feel God's spirit nudge you. You need to pray. Now, here's what we do a lot of times as a Christian. Hey, <clears throat> I'm going to let you know I'm praying for you. That's good. But you know what's amazing is if you'd say, if it's okay with you, I'd like to pray for you right now. Now, I know some of you are like, man, you, I can't do that. Uh, in all the years I've been in ministry, um, I've only had one person who refused to let me pray for him. Uh, that was when I asked Marie to marry me. But that's a whole other sermon. <laughs> but I honestly really only have had one person. I still remember it as a hospital visit. People want to know that you care about them. Now, what if a person says, I don't want you to pray for me? That's okay. That's okay. But you'd be surprised the power of just praying. Say, can we pray about that right now? And people really need to know you care in that way. So this morning, what we're going to do, uh, scholars say that if you look at the life of Jesus, other than his journey to the cross, there was a 24-hour day that was packed and that's the day we're going to look at here in just a moment. And we all know what it's like to have crazy 24 hours, all of us. So let me give you a few examples uh, that I've experienced and ex uh, watched others experience. <coughs> uh, for example, um, the day you move. Anybody remember that? When you made that, that move, or I like to call uh, purgatory. So if you've had that day and you remember how exhilarating it is, and then how exhausting it is, and you lay your head on a pillow, and you look back over the day, and you're like, I cannot believe everything that just happened today. Or here's one. Our family's gone through this. I guarantee you have to. The day before you leave for a big family vacation. You ever notice the checklist of what you have to get done? <clears throat> and that first few minutes when you go on your vacation, and it's like sound and music, you're singing, you know, and that's a lie. I mean, you're just so, why? Because you just, you can't believe what you had to do in 24 hours before you left. How about when you prepare your house when you're trying to sell your house? 
That's a fun 24 hours, isn't it? On a very serious note, if you've lost somebody you love, in the morning you wake up and there's a funeral, and you know what that day is going to be. And as that day plays out and then, again, you go to bed that night, you just... You try to put in order all the emotions that you went through over that 24-hour period of time. We all have days like that. Those of you that have had your kids' wedding, and if you have daughters, we've married two daughters now, and again, when you go to bed that night, you're like, oh, my land, I'm broke, I'm exhausted, and you just can't believe everything that happened that day. And let me share specifically for women and then men days. So women, what do you think of when you hear the word Thanksgiving? Think about that day. And if you're traveling, how exhausted you are, or if you're the home that everybody's coming to, think about Thanksgiving. Men, I want you to think about December 24th, noon, to December 25th, noon, okay? What happens during that 24 hours? See, we know what it's like to look over 24 hours and say, This is unbelievable. Now, here's what we're going to do today. We're going to take a journey. We're going to walk with those disciples and Jesus. And to do it properly, what we need to do is we're going to pull a couple of parallel texts together uh, so that you can see completely. It's in your bulletins. You can follow along. And the two texts will come from Mark chapter 6 and Mark, excuse me, Matthew 14. Mark 6 and Matthew 14. Now, I'm so thankful Chris Porter sent me this this week. Uh, It was the uh, Country Western Awards. I missed it. (laughs) I'm so sorry. But anyway, uh, the Country Western Awards, Thomas Rhett, if you haven't heard, did something that I think was pretty special. And uh, I want to show you uh, what he shared as he received his award at the awards this week. There you go. Thank you so much, everybody. Thank you so much, CMT, for for such an amazing honor. Um, I don't know about you, but, but sitting in that seat over there watching the whole night, I was telling Ashley that I cried once during her bit, and uh, uh, Kane's speech, man, I don't, I don't even know if Kane's here anymore, but I just want to lift up Kane and his family, and I want to lift up his drummer and their family. Um, I don't know if this is very conventional, but can I just pray really fast? Is that okay with everybody? Uh, Father God, we love you so much. Um, Loss is something that we can't comprehend. And so right now I pray that you would be with Cain and his family and his drummer Kenny and his family and uh, bring them peace that only you know how to bring somebody. And uh, thank you for this night. God bless country music. We love you, Jesus. Uh, And in in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you all so much. Wow. There it is. If you don't know the backstory, uh, Cain Brown was a good friend of his. And just that week, the drummer of that band died tragically in a car accident. So here he has the opportunity. And I don't mean this bad. I've seen ball players. Here's a pet peeve. I want to thank Jesus for helping me hit the home run. Oh, Jesus could care less that you hit a home run. But when a guy says, I want to pray for my friend. And if it may not be conventional. And guess what? In the United States, what's sad is it's not. And then what do he do? Let me just pray. Folks, I'm just telling you, even if it's a minute, the power of prayer during our 24-hour days can change our lives, and it can change the lives of others. So let's, let's just walk with Jesus this morning for a while. The day starts, if you look, with a mission trip in Mark chapter 6. And uh, let me give you a little background. What I mean by this mission trip is Jesus has sent out his disciples. He sends them out two by two 
They're back in the region where Jesus grew up. Now, those of you that have ever moved away from your hometown and then gone back years later, isn't that a weird experience when you go back home? It's not, you might think it's going to be fun, and you get back and you're like, this is weird. And it just is. Uh, you can only imagine uh, when I showed up my 10-year high school reunion, John Robertson, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, what are you doing now? <laughs> I'm a minister. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, what are you doing now? I thought, no. Seriously, I'm, I'm a minister. Um, I preach. And they're like, yeah. Okay. So anyway, I, I was like, boy, I can't wait to come home again. But here they're in the area where Jesus grew up. And Jesus knew that the culture was, the Jewish culture is when somebody was traveling and they showed up, that culturally they had to reach out to them and offer them their home. That's just part of their culture. That was an honor to have somebody in your home. Jesus said, uh, interestingly enough, when you go in these homes, I'm going to give you some instructions. As a matter of fact, follow with me. And uh, we're going to get into Mark 6, starting in verse 7. Calling the 12 to him, he began to send them out. Two by two, he gave them authority over impure spirits. And these were his instructions. Take nothing for your journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, um, nothing in your belt, wear sandals, uh, no extra shirt. And whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place, shake the dust off your feet, as a testimony against them. They went out and they preached to the people that they should repent. And they drove out many demons and they anointed many sick people with oil and they healed them. Do you see what Jesus did for them? He said, when you go out two by two, you're going to have the authority with you. See, God's Holy Spirit is moving. They don't even know what the Holy Spirit is. And there's a power that's moving and it's not their power. It's the power of Jesus. And they're experiencing that. Not only that, there's an urgency. They go out. They're not supposed to take anything with them. They rely completely on this is an, an issue of faith. But they go to these homes. And here's what they say. When you have a conversation, the conversation is going to be about me and what you're learning. And if they don't accept that, you need to determine, is this person hospitable or hostile? And if they're hostile, what do you tell them? Shake the dust off your sandals and move on. Now, uh, here's a lesson for all of us. And this is a hard lesson. I remember hearing this years ago. You cannot argue somebody into heaven. You don't sit down with somebody and have this sharp disagreement and put them in their place and then say, I love you. Do you need Jesus? No. They're like, what are you doing? So Jesus said, there's certain people as you reach out to, they are not, no matter what you do, they're not going to listen. But there's so many other people that are spiritually curious. And when they are, are you prepared. I love the fact that Jesus said, I'm sending you. That Greek word for send is where we get the word apostle. And it means to send somebody with a special commission to represent another to accomplish his or hers work. See, they were representing Jesus. They were starting to get it. So I love it as they go on this trip. You can see as they're learning to pray, because imagine the faith it takes to go up to strangers' homes and start sharing Christ. And you got to know as they come back to Jesus, they are so excited. They cannot wait to share what God is doing through them. And then in the midst of that, on the same day, they get bad news. What's the news? 
Matthew 14, verse 6. On Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias danced for the guest and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked, prompted by her mom, her mother, she said, give here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. The king was distressed because of the oath of his dinner's guest. He ordered that her request be granted and had John beheaded in prison. His head was brought on a platter given to the girl who carried it to her mother. And John's disciples came and took his body, buried it, and then they went and told Jesus. Wow. So on this crazy, hectic day that was starting with so much promise, Jesus gets terrible news. John's been killed. Now, I don't know about you, but it's a, an example of Jesus being full of God, but now showing that he's fully human because his heart is so heavy for John. Not only his cousin, but he said John was greater than anyone ever born of woman. He loved John. Isaiah 53, 3 says, Jesus was a man of sorrows. You know, as Jesus started to pull the disciples away, that the questions were coming at him like, Jesus, this isn't fair that John would have to die that way. It isn't fair that somebody who loved the Lord, who is passionate about serving the Lord, would die such a humiliating death. You know those were the questions. And it's interesting how he went from this extreme high and now down to this terrible place. You ever been there? Your day starts out great, things are going well, and then you get bad news. I've been in ministry since uh, full-time since 84. I've had so many cups of coffee with so many people, and this has played out. Uh, Steve Connors here, he'll tell me, he'll, I guarantee it's happened to Steve too. You're having a conversation, and somebody will kind of put, they always put their hand up. They'll go, man, I got to take this. Now, if it's not that big a deal, they take it right in front of you. They'll be like, yeah, yeah, I got that, I covered, yeah, bread, milk, good, good to go. You know, so anyway, they'll take it, and uh, hey, sorry for that. Here's when I know it's serious. <clears throat> they'll look you right in the eye and they'll go, wait a second. And they'll stand up. I usually walk away. And that's when I know it's bad news. And they usually turn around and I can tell by the look on their face. And they'll say, man, I'm so sorry. I, I've got to go. And that's when I know it's really bad news. We've all been there, haven't we? In the middle of a, just a great day, all of a sudden we get some news that just, I mean, it rattles us and it shakes us to our very core and that can happen in life. All of us have been there. And Jesus is teaching his disciples how important it is when you're just, just broken to retreat. I read a quote that I love. It says, if you don't come apart and rest, you will come apart. You know, sometimes we have to play hurt. and Sometimes we have to get away. And if you've got to get away, get away. Now, here's what's interesting on this day when so much is going on. So Jesus, uh, he, he's wanting to hear the reports back from what they learned, but it's not time yet. And now he hears this devastating news about John, and he can see the pain of the followers of John the Baptist, the friends of John the Baptist. And he gets in this boat, and he's traveling in the boat. And as he's traveling, this is remarkable if you can picture this, thousands of people are on the shore following them. And Jesus he can't help it. He keeps seeing these people. We're not talking a handful. We're talking uh, scholars. When they say 5,000, it was probably 15,000 people on the shore running aside. And Jesus realized, I know we want to get away right now, 
but we've got to minister to these people. In other words, Jesus said, as hard as this is, you're going to have to play hurt. And, you know, sometimes when you're serving others, you play hurt. There, there are days, I'm telling you, any minister will tell you this. Anybody who serves will tell you there are these days that you're just, you got nothing in the tank and somebody's broken and you're like, I've got to deal with this. I've got to deal with them. I've got to help them. And I love the fact that Jesus has this compassion for these people. You know the disciples are thinking, Jesus, we're exhausted. And yet he, he allows them to realize how important ministry is right now. So it says he pulls the, the boat in, and all of a sudden these people start to swell. And I want you to look at Mark 6, starting verse 39. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on this green grass. They sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, there's a miracle. And looking up to heaven, he gave thanks. He broke the loaves, and he gave it to the disciples to distribute to the people. He had also divided two fish among them all, and they all ate, and they were satisfied. And the disciples picked up the 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish, and the number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Now remember, that's just the men. It doesn't count the wives and the children. Now, if you read in all the gospel accounts, we never get a detailed report of how he multiplied that. We just know. Can you imagine the disciples? Jesus is splitting them up in small groups. That's what I want to point out. Isn't that awesome? Get in small groups, and I want them to hear your heart, and you're going to break bread just like me. Don't you think as they were breaking the bread, they were thinking, where's the bread coming from? We saw the kid bring the loaf. You know, we saw that, but how is this happening? And I imagine that joy started to come over again as they're sharing with these small groups. They're like, you haven't seen nothing yet. I mean, Jesus is amazing. And I'm, they're like, tell us more about Jesus. What do you do? In small groups, let's talk about it. And I tell you, the way you can really grow at a church is not just to show up on Sunday morning. It's to take the next step. Get in a small group. Be a part of a team. But get in a smaller community within the church so that you can really start to share life. I love the fact that Jesus said, Let's share life in these small groups. And again, I can't imagine the emotional roller coaster of these disciples. They're like, oh, my lamb, we went from, you know, healing people, taking evil spirits out of people. We hear this news about John the Baptist. We're trying to get away. And now look at this. Thousands of people now are clamoring to us. And then Jesus said, you know what? Everybody's exhausted. Their, their bellies are full. You have all these leftovers. Let's retreat. And I love what he does next. He says, you go out on the boat, and I'm going to go up on the mountain, and I'm going to pray. So my question is, what was he praying for? I want you to look down at God's word. Look at Mark 6 again, verse 45. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get in the boat, go on ahead of him to Bethsaida. And while he dismissed the crowd, after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. I remember a few years ago when I studied with Dan Spader, and he said they, if you go to the Holy Lands, they, they can almost mark the exact spot where Jesus was praying that night. And he prayed anywhere from six to nine hours. We know from the book of John it was near the Passover, which means it's a full moon. So here's Jesus looking over the Lake of Galilee, and he can just see the, this beautiful moon, and in the shadows he can see these guys fishing. So I truly believe he's praying for John the Baptist, and his followers, he's praying for the pain, 
but he's praying for these guys. God, I thank you for these guys and what they've done. Isn't that a great day as a parent or a grandparent when your kids do something and you're so proud of them? You know what those days are like? And you want to tell everybody else, like, uh, yeah, that's my kid, but you don't want to embarrass your kid. And then you can't wait till they get home because you want to tell them how proud you are, but you've got to let them tell you what they did. I mean, those are great days. And I think Jesus is saying, God, I'm so proud of these guys out here. I mean, they've been through a lot, not just today, and I know what's coming. I know what's coming. When's the last time that you set aside time and you've had your own special place to go and pray? For Jesus, it was that mountain. Maybe there's a place that you need to get away even this week. You need to retreat to. That's a special place and start praying for people that God has laid on your heart. And then this amazing thing occurs. There's a storm that's approaching. And it tells us in Matthew 14, verse 25, shortly before dawn. See, we haven't even got to the 24-hour mark yet. Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. And they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. And Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and he came toward Jesus. And we saw the wind, he was afraid, and began to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand, and he caught him, and he said, oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down, and those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. In 24 hours, imagine they've experienced evil spirits being cast out. They've experienced Jesus taking basically nothing and feeding 15,000 people. And now he's walking on the water. That's a full day. That is a really full day. And they've come to the conclusion that God is in the boat. God's walking. This isn't just man now. This is God in the flesh, in the boat. He's with us. He's in the boat with us. And what I love in this particular scene is I love Peter. I absolutely love Peter. They're terrified. And Jesus is right there. And Peter's like, Jesus, all you have to say is get out of the boat. I'm, I'm out there. And Peter gets out there and the storm's all around and he begins to sink. And it's so easy to be critical of Peter. But I'm not really good at math. But I think I've counted this right. One guy walking on the water to Jesus and 11 boat huggers. Did you get the same count? He got out of the boat. And I don't know about you, but any time in life you take a step of faith, those are hard steps. The first step of faith is always a hard step. And I'll just give you some examples in life what I mean by a step of faith. Um, how many couples do we have here that have been married at least 25 years? Raise your hand. At least 25. Good. You're all smiling. That's good. Okay. Do you remember the first time you asked that individual to go out on a date? Do you remember the, the, the terror of that? Do you remember how nervous you were? Okay. That is that first step of faith. And it's hard to take the first step of faith. Think of all the times in life 
that we have been asked to take the step of faith. You move to a new town. How many of you here have moved to Bloomington in the last two years? Raise your hand if you... Okay. It's not easy, is it? You've got an idea what you think Bloomington is. Maybe you show up here in the fall. Hey, let's go check out the Lotus Fest. And like, whoa! You know, whatever it is, you realize this is a unique place. I remember years ago we had a guy enter... <laughs> I shouldn't even share this. This guy was interviewing... And he said, uh, he, he asked Tom, he said, can you describe Bloomington, Indiana? It was very serious. Tom said, okay, I'll give it a shot. He goes, have you been to Walmart yet? And the guy goes, no. He goes, go to Walmart. And um, here's, here's who's going to be in line. You're going to have a guy that's imitating Elvis. You're going to have a guy that's pants, he needs to tug up. And you're going to have a professor and you're going to have probably a coach of some kind, very professional, that's Bloomington. I can't even describe Bloomington. Well, can't we agree? For those of you that you're visiting today or, or anytime you visit a new church and you take that first step in the door, that's a step of faith, isn't it? It's not easy. Day after day after day, we have opportunities to take that first step of faith. Maybe God's tugging on your heart to go on a short-term mission trip. Whatever it is, it always takes that first step. And what I love about Peter is he takes the first step and he falls down. I don't know if I've mentioned, but we have a grandchild <clears throat> and her name's Lydia and she's pulling up now. And so it's not long she's gonna start walking. And this happened the other day, she fell. She's gonna, I mean, it's gonna happen thousands of times. And my daughter Rachel's like, oh! And Ray said, get used to it, Rachel. She's going to fall a lot. That first step's hard, isn't it? It's always hard. But when Peter was sinking, what I love is in Matthew 40 or 14.30, he just simply said three words, Lord, save me. There's this tension that we all have when we take these steps of faith, and that's the tension. We take the step of faith, and then we pray, Lord, help me. Then we take another step of faith. Lord, help me. And we do that every day of our lives. Lord, help me. And then we get desperate. Lord, save me. There's, um, there's a Christian artist right now. I'm telling you, I've, I've downloaded so much of his stuff lately. And there's an amazing worship experience. If you go on YouTube, and it's Zach Williams. He's got a worship service in the hardened prison. And uh, I just love this dude's voice and his lyrics. But he has a song called Heaven Help Me. Just like you listen to the chorus. When I can't find the words, when I can barely breathe, and I'm falling on my knees, heaven help me. Heaven help me. When I can't feel you near and I can't hear you speak, I'm falling on my knees. Heaven help me. Heaven, help me. When I don't understand, when I don't think I can, I know you have a plan, so heaven, help me. Heaven, help me. That's what life is. It's this struggle, and it's these 24-hour days sometimes that just knocks us down, and we can barely breathe. Heaven, help me. And Jesus is always there reaching out saying, you don't need to doubt I've never left you, and I will never leave you. It was 1993, 
and I had a group of high school students and, and some sponsors, and uh, we went down uh, to the El Paso uh, area in Texas and crossed over and um, to Juarez, and we built a home uh, there, and it was, it was just an unbelievable experience, and I was just so proud of the, the students. And so when they wrapped everything up, I said, now the last night we're here, we're going to go do something fun, and we're gonna do, I'm going to let you decide whatever you want to do. And by the way, I've already bought the tickets to the minor league baseball game. So anyway, we uh, <laughs> went and drove back over to the United States, and we went to see the uh, El Paso Diablos, which means Satan. I mean, they're the devil, so I, we were in trouble anyway. So I got there, and I mean, we were just having a, a blast. And I actually went to the guy that was calling the game, and I said, hey, we got a big group of kids here from Indiana. Anything we can do? And he said, uh, would they want to sing Take Me Out to the Ball Game, Stand on the Dugout? I said, absolutely, they'd love that, you know, and they did. I, got, I remember the picture, we're all laughing, and they're singing Take Me Out to the Ball Game. They're like, John, this is awesome. I'm like, this is, this is too cool. And I said, uh, hey, I got to go make a phone call, and then blah, 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 and, then, and we're laughing. I go make the phone call home, and uh, uh, my wife was staying with her uh, folks, and so I, I called, and uh, she didn't pick up. It was her sister. And she said, uh, John, um, now don't worry. That's always the worst. Way. Don't worry. But we took Marie to the hospital, and they don't know what's wrong. But don't do anything stupid. Don't jump on a plane. Everything's okay. Call back in the morning. We'll give you an update. But, you know, you're going to be in St. Louis tomorrow, and we'll go from there. And so I'm trying to cover up. So I tell one of my sponsors that I said, hey, it's... Just don't tell anybody, don't tell the kids, and she did. You know, so anyway, uh, we go back, back to the mission housing, and um, my favorite thing of all mission trips that I love to do is we'd always have a big candle in the middle, and I'd have a little candle each kid would have, and they'd each reach and take the big candle and light it and uh, answer this one question, how did Jesus show up for you this week? And one by one, they started just sharing how that was taking place. But I couldn't get my mind off Marie. I couldn't get my mind off what's going on. And so we got all the way in, and it got to my turn, and I, I lost it. I said, guys, I'm not very good at faking things. You know that. And uh, they don't know what's wrong with Marie. And um, I'm here, but I'm not here. I want to be with you guys, but I really want to be home. And this kid, one of this amazing high school kid stood up and he said, shut up. You and Marie have been there for us all these years. We're going to be here for you. And then they just gathered around me and prayed over me. And Jesus showed up through those high school students. There are these moments in life, these 24-hour days that grind us down, and it's Jesus, help me. You know what's amazing? He can use you to help others. You just never know what Jesus is going to do through you when somebody cries out, I need help, and you're the one to help. I know what that's like to be at the end and to be desperate and have somebody reach out and love the way Jesus loved. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages?
You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.